Hola, and welcome to Spanish Answers, a podcast that gives you unas yavitas claves as you unlock your Spanish language adventure. I'm your host, Sarah, with Language Answers, and today in episode 80, we'll talk about things you probably didn't know about the Spanish alphabet. For instance, have you ever wondered what the official name is of each letra in el abecedario? Perhaps you like to play Scrabble or Boggle, where this knowledge would come in handy. Or maybe you're just curious. Either way, today we'll cover the official names of the Spanish alphabet and how to spell them. Plus, we'll talk about some of these supposed lost letters and some common letter pronunciation mistakes that English speakers make. And, of course, we will begin our cultural tip miniseries on Puerto Rico. Vámonos! So, as with all things, let's start with the basics. Let's go over the official Spanish alphabet, or el abecedario, with all of its 27 letters. Now, if you want to see how these are spelled, I'm not going to actually say it out loud on the podcast because that would be a lot of spelling, and I feel like, well, if I was listening, my eyes would glaze over. So if you want to see how they're officially spelled, please check out the episode blog or the table there. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started with the letter names. We have A, B, C, D, E, F, H, H, I, J, J, K, L, M, N, Ñ, O, P, Q, R, or you could say R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. All right, so we'll do it one more time, but a little bit more quickly. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, Ñ, O, P, Q, R, or R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Now, please note, all of the letters are feminine. So it's La, A, La, B, La, O, La, Q, all of them, feminine. And this is important because for some of the letters, if you refer to them as masculine, you are actually changing the meaning. Now, most of these are for chemical symbols or scientific units of measurement, but not all. For example, el w would be un batio o warframio. So you're either talking about watts or the element tungsten. El te would be el tritio o el tesla, meaning tritium. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that right in English. Or the tesla unit. El S with a period after it, el S would be el siglo o el san, meaning it's the abbreviation for century or a male saint. El P, again with a period, would be el papa, padre o pontifice, meaning it's an abbreviation for the pope, father, as in the Catholic title, not your actual dad, or a pontus. El M would be the metro or meter. El L is el litro, or liter. El J would be 
Julio, meaning it's the abbreviation for the month of July. El I would be el yodo or iodine. El H is el hidrógeno or hydrogen. El F is fluor or faradio, so it's fluorine or farad. El D is Don, meaning it's the abbreviation for that specific title, which is similar to the English mister. And el be would be boro or boron. Now, a few other things to note about the alphabet. You can refer to B, right, la B, as la B larga, la B alta, o la B grande. And the V, or V, right, V, you can also refer to as la B baja, la B corta, o la B chica. Now, the reason why I also keep saying that R could be R is because you can call the letter R in Spanish R or R, so with one R or two R's. But if you're doing it with two R's, you might also be referring to the digraph R doble, right, instead. That's where they have two R's together. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second here. So there you have it. There's the official Spanish alphabet. Now, as you can see, the current alphabet has 27 letters, but it wasn't always this way. Perhaps you've heard of these supposed lost letters. The double L, la EY, or the CH, la CH. Well, they're technically not lost. Back in 2010, the official guardian of the Spanish language, at least that's what they would say, the Real Academia Española, or the RAE, or RAI, made some updates to the Spanish alphabet. This included changing CH and double L into digraphs instead of unique letters. So what is a digraph or un digrafo? You might be asking. It's a fair question. It's basically where two letters create a single phonetic sound. Kind of like, well, not kind of, exactly like how in English we use the digraph NG to represent the ng sound in ring or bring, right? It's not an actual n and g sound, it's a ng sound. But we use those two letters to represent that sound instead, so it's called the digraph. Now, one of the upsides to this change was that it made finding words in the dictionary easier, as now you would search for words completely alphabetically, rather than having to treat ch and double l, or la e and la ch, as the next letter. For example, achatar would come after the word acordar, before this change, even though it would be more intuitive for it to come before. So this update officially fixed things like that. Now, on top of that, the RAE made some name changes. When differentiating between Y and I, or Y and E, people used to call them Y griega, or the Greek Y, and Y latina, the Latin I but officially only Y was actually referred to in this way. I've never heard anyone say E Latina, but I actually learned to call the letter Y E Griega. Now, with this change, Y is officially just called La Y. They did something similar to V, which used to be called B, but this would be confusing considering that B or B is called B, and both words, V and B in Spanish sound exactly the same. B y B. So now V is officially called V. Did this affect the W? It depends on where you're at. From what I've read, V doble 
tends to be used in Spain, whereas bay and doble bay are more widely used still in Latin America. So what about the double R? Also known as la R doble or doble R, this is un digrafo. So rather than being its own letter, like the single R, this digraph tells the reader that the sound should be the Spanish trill. One of the most common examples of the significance of doble R is with the words perro and perro. The first, right, perro, means the conjunction but. And the second, perro, means dog. The only difference between those two words is the doble R. So was doble R once its own official letter? It's really hard to say. I couldn't find anything conclusive. But I can confidently say that in recent living memory, it has not been. All right, so let's talk about some of the unique sounds. After all, while most of the Spanish alphabet looks like our English letters, with the exception of ñ, the pronunciation isn't exactly equal for all of them. We could dive into each and every unique sound, but that's beyond the scope of this podcast. Instead, I'll focus on some of the consonants that really stick out to me. With vowels, the common misunderstandings I see with those involve making them into diphthongs, like in English, I, which is really two vowels, A-I, rather than keeping the vowels in Spanish as pure single vowel sounds. So I don't think we need to go into the vowels, but we will focus on just some of the consonants that I have really seen problems with. So obviously, the Spanish trill belongs on this list, as a lot of English speakers have problems pronouncing it. But even the single R isn't the same as our English R. So try saying tortilla and focus on how your tongue moves. The tip of your tongue should be hovering around the top ridge of your gums, right behind your teeth, where you would create the trill if it was a double R, right? Or un doble R. Now, try saying the English word run, still focusing on what your tongue does. The middle slash back of your tongue should be hitting the top of your mouth. Very different, right? Run, tortilla. Very different R sounds. Then we've got the D and the T sounds. In Spanish, you soften the sounds of these two letters by having the tip of your tongue press against the back of your top teeth while making them. In English, the tip of your tongue hits the ridge of your gums, making for a sharper sound. So for example, in English, it's D and T. But in Spanish, it's de and te. Now, unlike in English, the letter H doesn't actually make a sound. So that's an easy enough one. But contrary to what many sites will tell you, the J in Spanish does not make the same sound as the English H. Sure, they're close, but your tongue is actually closer in shape to when you make the English R. So you put the back of your tongue up against the top of your mouth and then you blow across it. Jota, jota like in the words jabón, jaguar, and jalapeño. Lastly, we have the double L, ELLE. Now, how you pronounce this sound will vary by region. In some countries, it's pronounced like the English Y, YA, ELLA. But in other countries, it is more similar to the French JE sound, ELLA. It really just depends in which Spanish-speaking country you are going to be speaking. Now, I did find while recording this an article online that has all the letters of the alphabet along with, I'm assuming their native speakers, pronouncing the different letters. So if you want to hear each letter's sound, I highly recommend that you check it out. So I will, of course, include that link in the show notes. 
Now, if you would really like a good pronunciation trainer, I highly, highly recommend the Fluent Forever ones created by Gabrielle Weiner. You can buy them separately for Anki or access them through their app, which does require a subscription, just FYI. But these are fantastic and they train your ears to actually hear the different sounds that you would make in Spanish versus what your English trained ears think they should be doing. Really great stuff. I love the Fluent Forever app and everything associated with it. That's pretty much it for today. Let's go ahead and go to our first cultural tip on Puerto Rico. All right, so Puerto Rico. Today we'll talk about the basic country facts. Its official name is the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. And according to the CIA's World Factbook, its size is almost three times bigger than the state of Rhode Island. It's located in the Caribbean Sea, and the island is west of Haiti and the Dominican Republic and east of the British Virgin Islands and north of Venezuela. Now, government type. The island is a commonwealth, so it belongs to the USA, or more officially, it's an unincorporated, organized territory. But it does have a local self-government broken up into the three branches, executive, legislative, and judicial. Their chief of state is the U.S. president and vice president. And interestingly enough, Puerto Ricans cannot vote in the federal elections for president and VP since they are not a state, something they vote on periodically with the most recent non-binding referendum in 2020, suggesting that at least a slight majority desire statehood. Although, to be honest, less than half of the island's eligible voters actually voted in the referendum. So take that as you will. But anyways, Puerto Ricans do get to vote in the party presidential primaries. The island's head of government is currently Governor Pedro Pierluisi as of January 2021, and the islanders vote for their four-year term governor directly via simple majority popular vote. Now, while they are still under the U.S. Congress, their local legislature is bicameral and called the Legislative Assembly, or Asamblea Legislativa. It is composed of the Senate, El Senado, which has 30 seats for four-year terms, and the House of Representatives, or Cámara de Representantes, which has 51 seats for four-year terms. The judicial branch has a Supreme Court with a chief justice and eight associate justices who are appointed by the governor before being confirmed by the Senate, and they must retire at 70. The island's capital city is San Juan, and as of 2014, its religion was mainly Roman Catholic at 56% and Protestant at 33%. Its official languages are Spanish and English, and its currency is, of course, U.S. dollars or USD. Now, really quick, a brief history on the island. So while Encyclopedia Britannica says the first inhabitants of Puerto Rico were hunter-gatherers who were there over a thousand years before Spain first discovered the island, the first culture that we really know about is that of the Arawak Indians, called the Taino culture, or the Tainos. They settled on the island by 1000 AD. They grew some crops and fished, and they called the island Boriquen, which means land of the valiant and noble lord. When the Spanish arrived on Christopher Columbus's second voyage to the New World in 1493, there were 20,000 to 50,000 Tainos, who were also at war with the Caribs, a group of people from neighboring islands. The island was first named by Columbus as San Juan Bautista, with the main port and capital city being called Ciudad de Puerto Rico, aka Rich Port City. But over time, the names were flipped and shortened. The Spanish crown claimed the island, and over time, because demand for goods was increasing, but the local population was being decimated via mistreatment and disease, 
the Spanish also brought African slaves to the island. The Caribs continued to raid, and the island also had to fend off Dutch, British, and French pirates. In the later half of the 16th century, Spain began fortifying the island to better defend its strategic importance. Then in the 18th century, the Spanish Bourbon rulers enacted drastic reforms that really increased the island's agricultural and economic situation, leading to a boom in population. Now, I'm not positive, but I think a significant portion of this was actually from European immigrants. Eventually, there was a growing desire on the island for independence, and on September 23, 1868, there was an uprising known as the Grito de Lares. While ultimately the Spanish suppressed the rebellion, it happened at the same time as Cuba's fight for independence, leading to Puerto Rico gaining local autonomy. Yet, after the Spanish-American War, Spain gave Puerto Rico to the U.S. in 1898, and in 1917, the islanders were granted U.S. citizenship. Beginning in 1948, they elected their own governors. President Truman also signed into law the Puerto Rico Commonwealth Bill in 1950, which was approved by the islanders in 1951, which further led to the island creating its own constitution in 1952. And that's pretty much all for today. Our next episode will be during the start of the holiday season, so the next four episodes will be focused on fun and enjoying this really fun time of year. So I will see you soon. And lest I forget, have a happy Halloween. Also, thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to check out the show notes for links to the resources used for this episode. If you'd prefer to read an approximate transcription of today's episode, you can also visit the episode's blog, which I highly recommend if you want to see how the Spanish letters are spelled. I would love to help you on your Spanish journey, so if you have any questions about today's episode, or even just on Spanish culture or grammar, you can reach me at contact at languageanswers.com, or visit my website for more information at languageanswers.com. I can also be contacted regarding my services for Spanish to English translation, English technical writing, editing, and content creation, or even language consultations and tutoring for you or your business. Remember, learning a language is a lifelong journey, so please, aprovechalo, disfrútalo, y compártelo. I'll see you in two weeks. ¡Hasta luego! Bye.